Hi everyone, this is Tundi Varga Atkins and episode 16 of our Treasure Island Pedagogies podcast from the Centre for Innovation in Education at the University of Liverpool. This is where we share our lightbulb moments, teaching props and pedagogies as we cohabit our Treasure Island, the space for contact time with students. I have the pleasure of introducing four guests today, Dr. Dawn Irving Bell, Dr. Gary Brown, Sue Beckingham and Dr. Tanya Diaz-Fonseca. So can I ask each of you to briefly introduce yourself, your original discipline and current role and how did you arrive here? Hi Tundi, thank you for inviting me to this wonderful warm and sunny lovely island. Uh, I'm Dawn Irving Bell and I work in the Centre for Learning and Teaching at Edgehill University. Uh, I'm a, a reader and senior learning and teaching fellow there. Um, prior, I've been in the centre for about five years now. Prior to that, I worked in teacher education, uh, and before that, I worked in secondary schools. So that's my uh, my journey, um, probably in reverse as to why I'm here today. But thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dawn. And I think we are clinging on to the fact that it's a sunny island because it's beautiful. It's... Sunny island. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> Gary. Hi, Tunda. Um, thanks, obviously, for the invite. Um, my original. Uh, discipline area is broadly management, um, but particularly people management. Again, I could unpack that further, but people management is probably the best way to understand where I've kind of moved from as I've moved through my academic career. And my current role is director of online and innovation in the management school at Liverpool. And I'm glad to be here on the island with you all. Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, very fitting for innovation to be here on the island with us. So Hi everyone and, and thanks again for, for the invite from me too. Um, I currently work at Sheffield Hallam University. I'm a principal lecturer and uh, I have a role as teaching and learning portfolio lead um, in the Department of, of Computing. This is actually my third career. So I left college when I was 18 and I had a place at Teachers Training College um, but panicked because at that point in time going back to the late 70s. Um, there was lots of teachers unemployed. There wasn't the jobs there. So I decided to apply for a role in a bank and spent a decade working in a boring bank and then had two children um, and took on some part time jobs. I was a Tupperware demonstrator. I was a play school leader um, and then started to work part time for Freeman's catalogue mail order. If anybody remembers getting those big books through the, the post when you used to buy, buy things that way. Um, that developed into a full time career um, and I was um, the lead for Debenhams Direct and we dealt with all the escalator queries that came from from head office. The internet hit the scene in 2004, um, big style in terms of shopping and I was made redundant. So I actually started at Sheffield Hallam as a temp. Uh, so I started my career in admin, uh, had a variety of different roles in the first year um, and, and kept getting sort of promoted. I was a portfolio manager and then an opportunity um, to really sort of get engaged with learning and teaching came through the um, people that was working with the, the, the academics, which then opened uh, an opportunity for me to talk to somebody at the university that said there's a new role that's happening um, and I went to start working for the head of learning and teaching for the um, faculty and that kind of really made me realise that what I've, I've always wanted to do was, was teach. Um, so yeah I went on a bit of a mission there to um, sort of develop my own qualifications and so it was kind of uh, in my mid 40s before I'd, I'd completed um, a, my first master's degree and then took a second master's degree. And I'm now a student, a PhD student at the University of Lancaster. Oh, brilliant. And so was, was this a moment when you realised this was your calling or was it a gradual process? I think it was as soon as I started working as, as a temp, you know, I got really interested in the things, the pedagogy, I kept coming across these new words. And um, the, the one thing with universities that you realise and, and appreciate coming from outside is the many, many opportunities for staff development. And I took every single opportunity that I possibly could and, and obviously Googled things and talked to people. And, you know, that kind of really got me interested in 
learning, but also being in the shoes of a student myself, it made me realise, you know, how teaching could perhaps be enhanced. Um, so that kind of led into my role as an educational developer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of blossomed since since then, really. OK, thank you, Sue. And Tanya? Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you, Tune, for inviting me to join you in this island today. Um, I am from physics, so my first uh, degree is in physics, and I soon realized that I did not want to spend my whole day in a lab. Uh, that was not for me. I felt that there were so many things that I wanted to do and be with people. Uh, and in one session, in one of the classes, some uh, a professor asked us if we wanted to do an outreach session in a school. And I volunteered and I realized like, oops, actually, I do like to, to be in the classroom. And I felt that the classroom was a place or at least the opportunity to make changes and to, you know, have an impact in the world. So I've decided to become a secondary school teacher as, so not the only one here. Currently, I'm a senior lecturer at Kingston University in learning and teaching, and I lead the program Introduction to Learning and Teaching for um, early academics. Uh, I've joined Kingston in 2016 after 15 years or so of secondary school teaching, of being an educational project manager and with a community as well. And uh, at least 10 years of teacher training, so informal and informal, uh, formal and uh, non-formal teaching, teacher education. I've been in different universities teaching and teaching teacher initial <laughs> education. And um, now I'm here at Kingston since, well, now, since 2016 and always open to learn a little bit more about learning and teaching, but always having very present that my role as an educator is to contribute to the development of skills, citizens' skills. So I see my students not only as students, but as people that can also uh, change the world, make it a better place, I would say. That's brilliant. And uh, so then my next question we'll be asking you about the light bulb moments, and you will probably have many of these as you have described your various trajectories. But if you could pick out one light bulb moments for our listeners today from where you felt that your students were getting it, whatever um, that point was and what made that happen? I mean, mine really, uh, I mean, it's interesting to see people's trajectories and things. So my, my light bulb moments really the first time when I really got excited about teaching students was was in schools, you know, making those breakthroughs. I worked in some very challenging schools in tough um, inner city, city areas for most of my career whilst in the secondary um, sector and working with the young people who came from very difficult, challenging circumstances. You know, when you've actually made a difference to them in their lives, that's what got me excited. Um, and when I was, um, and I'll, I'll say some of the things, um, <laughs> you know, that like, I used to teach um, technology education with some art and some design as well. So um, get children were by. I remember when we were making a little cabinet, like a jewellery box. And this girl, and I won't do the Scouse accent of this particular young lady, but she was getting very irritated as she'd made this box. And, and I said, look, you need to make it the other side because the knot will show on the outside. So put that on the inside. So when we varnish it and she just got all exasperated and started swearing quite a lot and jumping up and down. And I'm like, what, what's the matter? Well, I don't know why you keep buying it with these things in. I said, what do you mean? These knot things, why do you keep buying this wood with the knots in? I'm like, well, that's where the branch comes out of the trunk of the tree. And there was just this moment where not just her, but half the class just went, and I won't do the Scouse accent, but it's like, what, what do you mean? What, you mean this This comes off trees? Oh and, and it was like, oh my god <laughs> right we have to go backwards here you know because we, we just assume sometimes don't we that people are with us and i think that's one of my light bulb moments for myself as well never to assume that the learner is, is at the same stage as you sometimes you do have to go right back to basics to explain things that you think they possibly already know and then you can build on that from there you know but yeah we should stop buying wood with knots in 
um, because it's you know it messes up the design. So, but yeah, so that's one of my moments. So from there, really, um, when I moved into, I did a lot of teacher education while I was in the secondary school, and then obviously had some opportunities to move into full time higher education doing initial teacher training, and. I did think I'd miss the children and I, and I do to some respect, but when you make a difference to a child's life and their family's life and they get their GCSEs or their A-levels and they get to college, that's one thing. But when I moved into higher education and I was working with, um, I ran a, a flexible PGCE many years before COVID, you know, when I had blended learning and flexible learning and we used technology um, in the very first iterations of WebCT and Webinar and Blackboard. and a lot of my um, the, the students I worked with were from different um, had difficult backgrounds and, and the, the best ones were they'd they'd put their families first for many, many years and this was their second chance at a second career and they would come and the difference you'd make to their lives if they especially if they'd come from difficult backgrounds and they would divorced and they were on their own and they had children and they were really trying to make a difference for them and their family to get them through the programme sometimes the flexible pgc allowed them to they've been technicians in schools and they've been teaching for years you know but actually hadn't had that opportunity to get the proper qualification to get the pay and the teacher's pension and the service and the holidays that they they really should have done so to make the difference with those students was was phenomenal so that's that sort of light bulb moments all, all the way around there. I hope I've answered that okay, Tundi. I've gone on a little bit yeah, there. Yeah, but... goosebumps listening to that. It's amazing, <laughs> especially, you know, that joy for, that you can get in, in either of those situations, as you say. Yeah, that's why you get up in the morning, isn't it? It, it is to make that difference and make be the person who makes that difference for somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you just you know that that's that's the joy you don't you don't come into learning and teaching for the pay do you really or the, the kudos it's about those little wins every day that you get from making a difference to somebody that you're working with okay great so thanks don for for sharing your light bulb moments uh, so anyone else yeah i've come off mute and if it's okay if i jump in briefly actually yeah, it was really when dawn was speaking um, and, and listening to uh, other participants about some of their experiences over time before they moved into education and then of course when they're in educational context it took me back to when i first started and early light bulb moments uh, calling them light light bulb moments perhaps is too grand a way to put what happened then but they were very very important and i learned a huge amount um, during some of those uh, early experiences. One in particular, and I've told lots of people about this uh, since then, and this is going back. So I've been teaching 23 years, I think, all in. So this is going back to 23 years ago when I had my first ever semester of teaching and I had a class on a Friday afternoon, the graveyard shift between three and five o'clock. And it was a group of students who were taking management as a minor subject. And it was uh, sports, sports study students at Edge Hill. <laughs> and uh, they were taking the subject um, as a minor subject, obviously not necessarily having full attention on the subject matter because it wasn't core. Whilst they'd opted for it, I think they'd opted for it on the belief in the belief that it would give them some future leadership skills training, perhaps, or some management training. When in fact, the modules typically are taught in an academic manner with some skills associated uh, uh, with it. But in addition to that, being the graveyard shift, actually being off campus so it was down rough lane it wasn't on the main campus at edge hill before the campus changed as much as it has done recently it was in an old detached house that had been converted for the purpose um so you can imagine the scene and, and this was my first ever class so i'd got a lesson plan i'd had some things to teach the students and it was a lesson plan based on a chapter from a book with questions taken from the chapter in the book uh, verbatim and being left for two hours to try and come up with something useful and entertaining to teach the students. Anyway, you can imagine that in the first few weeks it didn't go very well and they were particularly unhappy and they let me know that they were particularly unhappy. But being relatively naive, I assumed that I needed to persist and I needed to insist and I needed to tell them that we've got to learn this stuff and one way or another they're going to have to learn it. But no matter what happened, they didn't learn it and they let me know they weren't prepared to try to learn it in an effective manner. So the light bulb moment for me came when I thought, actually, you've got to teach to the context. You've got to teach to the students. You've got to be responsive to the cohort. You can't insist on sticking to a predetermined schedule for teaching, um, a predetermined lesson plan 
if it's not working, if it's failing. And actually, I think so that that early experience still stands me in good stead. So any teaching I do, in fact, any other form of work, it's not just about teaching any other form of work. If it's not working, the best thing you can do is jump away from it, change it and do something different. Or the other way we put it these days, I guess, is to be proactive and responsive to whatever the circumstances are that you face. But I always remember that. And I remember it like it was yesterday. So, yeah, certain, certainly a light bulb moment. And actually, I've got a huge amount of respect for the students as well. So at the time, I was thinking these students are deliberately trying to make my life difficult. They don't understand that I'm doing my best for them and so on. <laughs> but actually, they were they were communicating to me, letting me know that um, things weren't necessarily working in the way that they should. And instead of pushing against them, the best thing to do is actually to do your best in whatever way you can to work with them. And then in later weeks, things were much better. And they started to talk to me effectively. We established relationships um, in the class environment, et cetera, et cetera. And it worked incredibly well. But yeah, that really stands out for me still all these years later. So 23 years later, I remember the Friday afternoon graveyard shift and a lot of that learned from that experience. Yeah, and they are, they are still very valid, you know, that context and the focus on the students. And does this resonate with anybody? Yeah, definitely. I could jump onto to that. And it's it's having a purpose for what the students are actually learning, um, you know, as well as the, the, the context. So I think my light bulb moment is um, teaching second year students digital marketing. So um, obviously they have to learn the theory behind digital marketing, you know, which is a bit like pulling teeth with with some of them trying to get them engaged with that. But what brings it all together for that particular module was when we looked at um, applied learning where the students actually have to work with clients. So in the second semester, and that's going to happen shortly as we go back to teaching next next week for my second years, they'll be put into to groups and they will be introduced to a client each. Um, the clients are sourced by um, a department in the university, so they, they tend to be either um, sole traders of a, a very small um, organisation, company, charity or, or something of that, that nature um, that don't have a budget to do their own digital marketing and pay other people to, to do it. So the students meet up with them, they do some independent research, they do a competitive analysis and look at the local competitors um, for, for that business, direct or indirect. And what they do is is, is put together um, a plan and a strategy for, for that organisation. And what really brings it together is the fact that they're, they're doing this for that organisation that they've met, they've met the, the owners. So they know that they can actually make a difference. But what, what happened initially when I first ran it was um, as, as a typical module, they'd hand in their assessment, this was a written report, then they get the feedback and they learn how they could have done it better. Um, it's too late then, they're obviously not going to speak to the client client again. So what I brought into the module was um, a formative activity. So the students have to create a screencast uh, and it's in effect an executive summary of, of the report. As, as a PowerPoint voiceover um, presentation, which, as I say, the recorders of screencast, they can actually give that to, to the client. So a couple of weeks before the deadline, the client's invited to come in or in recent times we've done it over Zoom and they play their video and there's an opportunity for um, the client and myself to ask questions, to point out some errors of judgment or, or otherwise or, or things that are glaringly missing. And that gives an opportunity to improve on that work. So when they actually submit it, they've done the very best that they could possibly can. And, you know, I, I tend to ask the students to self-form the groups and you always end up with the stragglers who weren't there at the time that, you know, you bunch together. So you always have a group that you think, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to work out in the end. And I can hand, say hand on heart, every single group stands up and 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 does you know a good job obviously there are some that are better than others but you know that having having a purpose for doing it makes an incredible difference and i've applied the similar concept to my first years i i have a module that's called employability and work-based learning and the students work with local community groups again being a bit curtailed because of covid but they actually taught um, people in elderly care homes how to use technology, how, how to stay safe online 
and and it's incredible to see them put together like a little training session and deliver that to people and the appreciation of the local communities was was fantastic um so yeah that's that's me having a real purpose for for what they're actually doing makes makes a big difference yeah, I think I think that's a perfect example of authentic assessment as well. And as you say, that generally when students see that their work is is valued or they have got that um, purpose, it, it can produce really good results. It's nice to hear that all the groups that you're experiencing, all the groups to to, to do the same. Yeah. Is that I mean that that last example might link to Tanya's focus on on citizenship as well. Tanya, what's your light bulb moment? Yes, well. <clears throat> I have several. I've learned so much and I was thinking life moments for me more than for the students, I have to say, because I've learned so much. But I think there are two that connect very well with some examples that, that you gave already. One was a student uh, playing with a razor, so like kind of a knife and, you know, doing that thing between the fingers. You know? And of course, they couldn't do that, you know, and I knew the rules and I knew how to proceed, like what I had to do. But instead of actioning all the things that I needed, I just went to the student and asked him if, you know, if one day something went wrong, you know, because he was playing with that. And he, he said, well, if someone hurts me, you know, I go to the hospital, but all my friends will revenge me, you know, and beat them up. You know, all these kinds of films that bad boy and I was like, no, no, no. If actually one day it goes wrong and then he stopped, you know, he just went live it very surprised with me, you know, pushing for no, no, that's not it. And he realized that what I was asking was if you kill someone or if you hurt someone, how are you going to do with that? And he stopped, you know, for a few moments and he said, if I hurt someone and I said, yes. So he closed the, the knife or the razor, put it in, in the backpack. And for me, the lightning, lightning bolt moment was like, uh, before, you know, doing something, just go and talk to the student instead of assuming or, you know, pushing all things further or all the procedures that we have to just talk with the student first because you want to prevent something to happen now. And... A, a lesson to be learned, not only to punish. So, and that for me was, it, it's still it's still with me when I'm, you know, in my work, when I'm working with uh, any level of students, even if they are already, you know, adults and, you know, lectures, or it's just to try to understand what is happening and try to establish a, a, a dialogue with them to see if I can understand or establish a, a to bond with them, I would say. It's trying mm -hmm. to bond with that person before making any other decisions about what I'm going to do afterwards. So that for me was really a moment that, and it was like 20 years ago, mm. maybe. I mean, and I still, not 20 years, but I still remember, you know, his expression and what he was like, oh, nobody ever asked me that, you know. So it's this, sometimes we do have to ask our students things for them to think about it and to make a decision, like an informed decision. So instead of us providing them the answer that we want to, to hear, maybe it's just asking them and, and framing in such a way that they will engage in reflecting about what is being asked and feel it, you know, experience that and then do something uh, and make them then their decisions because they are, you know, individuals with with personalities, with life experience, with all those things that we cannot ignore and we should not ignore that they are, you know, individuals, citizens, you know, and people with wishes, with uh, desires, with uh, things that they don't like at all. They just don't like it and they are in their right not to like it. The same way that we have our things that we don't like, we might tolerate, we might engage with because we have to but we don't have to love it. So it's it was this, you know, that I've taken forward and I still applies. That person in front of me, it's a person with, you know, the same rights and wishes and desires as I am. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we could unpack there, Tanya, because as you said, is that, and also because that person was probably ready to be challenged, there was a, that they, they probably had a reason or, 
or for you to create that environment where the dialogue could, could take place before even any learning can take place. It links back to what Gary said about relationships as well, that teaching in many, you know, the importance of establishing relationships. Um, and yeah, as you said, asking good questions, similar to Dawn, what you said about the, you know, get 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 where the learner is from, you know, do they know this, this actually comes from a real tree before we can um, tackle the making the box. So yeah, that is very powerful. Thank you, Tanya, for sharing that. So as we said, we are going to row over our treasure islands when we meet our students and we spend time with them and um, you, so that they can learn, create this environment of learning on these treasure islands. So what sort of things would we put in our canoes or boats to row over, where, which we can't do without? So what would be those teaching props or pedagogies that you would like to bring with you to the islands? OK, so um, much as I love and adore technology, and I think it's amazing to enhance both us uh, tools for us as teachers, but also to enhance the learners, um, you know, toolkit. They, they can have so many things through assistive technologies. Going very, very old school. Um, and I used to make these before you could buy them commercially. And we used to laminate bits of cardboard, but little mini whiteboards, little mini marker pens and the little rubbers, because you can use them anywhere, anytime, any place. You can use them on field trips. Um, if it's a nice sunny day and you want to take your group out onto the into a, a nice space, you know, and learn in a different place like an outside classroom or take them to a beach on a trip. Um, you can use them if your technology breaks, heaven forbid. Um, but also in terms of the actual pedagogy, you know, you can work, work again, going back to my secondary school teaching days, where some students weren't always able to felt they could put the hand up to answer if you got them to either write or draw and, and this is important as well uh the answer to something rather than just asking someone to put the hand up you could ask them all to to write or draw or describe or do whatever they wanted to do on the little whiteboard and then hold it up and then if they all held it up at the same time if you were at the, the front of the room or the side of the room you could see everybody engaging and then they could all put it down quickly and rub it off before anyone could see. It didn't matter then if they couldn't quite spell it the same way as everybody else. If they wanted to respond with a drawing, they could. Obviously, being um, you know design, we used to do a lot of things around visual thinking, um, logo design, you know th those kind of things. Looking at colour theory, um, different ways of responding. So it was always nice, and they could use them then in group work as well. So they could always just put them together in the space, and you know, so like a jigsaw almost. Um, and again, I think about the planet, you know, you're saving trees, you're not using lots of paper, but they could all add a drawing to each other's and pass them around. So there were always lots and lots of different ways that you could use them. So little whiteboards, little marker pens that go with it and, and then the little rubbers. Um, a word of warning, if you are going to use it with secondary school children, give them first, give them five, ten minutes the first time you use them. Let them draw whatever they like. OK, it's, it's a free time because the first time you hand them out, you'll get all sorts of strange and unusual things. And they're very creative in what they can draw. So give them the first five or 10 minutes free, let them get it out of their system. And even with adult students probably as well. And then, <laughs> and then let them rub it off and then you can, um, you know, start, start the session proper. But yeah, every time. And then it doesn't matter if your technology doesn't work either. Brilliant. I really resonate yeah. with that, Dawn. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that 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 ability to be able to create things, um, and mine to to add to that is is I, I'd bring a big box of of Lego. So I'm a trained Lego series play facilitator, and it's been absolutely fascinating bringing this into the classroom. And I've I've used um, Lego with students in foundation year all the way through to um, postgraduate students, IT professionals, internationally um, students that have come from a variety of different countries who are absolutely, their eyes are popping. They've never seen some um, Lego in, you know, some, some of the students that have come from India, for, ex for example. But it, it, it's a really nice opportunity for the students to build with the hands and, and talk to a model to answer questions or describe something. So, for example, getting them to unpack um, a discussion around what are the barriers starting university, you know, what are they worried about or framing it, what are 
students that they might know worried about if they don't want to have the focus on themselves and then building something around that that they can actually um, talk to. Um, and one of the nice things is that it allows the students that are very, very shy to listen to the answers of the students that go, go first. Um, so they can sort of develop those ideas rather than that, you know, sort of I'm going to pick you out of the group. It's your turn to talk now and they freeze completely. Um, so, yeah, let Lego to me, I feel really passionate about using that in lots, lots of different ways. Brilliant. Thanks. So we've got Lego and whiteboards and I think the yeah. colourful Lego will look well on the island as well, as well as the whiteboards with different pens. <laughs> Can, can I jump in at this stage, yeah. Tundi? I think I think it's just a, actually continuing the theme of uh, going old school. Um, so immediately, and I didn't have to give this any thought at all when when asked the question, you know, what do you think is an essential um, pedagogical tool that you don't want to lose? And despite the title <laughs> I've currently got for my role, the lecture. Um, in terms of what I what I what I've done over time and the kinds of things that work for me, the kinds of things I enjoy, and where I get the best feedback from students. It's actually typically in a standard in-person lecture. Um, and I still think about that quite a lot, you know, asking the basic questions of why is that? You know, what is it about the lecture format that I enjoy personally that seems to work for the students? And the best answer I can come up with is certainly on a personal level, I think having the opportunity to converse with students in that kind of context, I think, yeah, I just get some general enjoyment out of it. There's a particular energy in a room when you've got a lot of people together. The challenge is a huge one, especially when you've got a large lecture because you've got to try and keep the students engaged. You've got to try and keep them entertained. Um, and the, the yeah, so the energy that brings to the room and the challenge of presentia as an educator is one I think that's difficult to replicate anywhere else. And I've always really, really enjoyed it. I think the other thing, and it's on a, again, a personal level, that's made me say that is, I think it, inherently I'm, I'm quite shy, quite reserved, I like to stay out of the way. Of people uh, and not having the choice but to engage and being solely responsible for teaching delivery, especially when you're in a lecture environment with a big group of students, forces me to to get beyond that additional reservation or shyness, you know, this kind of inclination for me to run away from contexts like that rather than to present myself in front of them. So yeah, I love technology. I work with technology all the time, but I would hate to lose the lecture. So Gary, talk to us about what a Gary lecture is like, because this can be quite a contentious <laughs> um, concept in, in terms yeah. of pedagogy that, um, because on, on, the, on the Treasure Island, what I think yeah. we're saying that is special contact time with students. So you've explained yeah. about the energy and the keeping students entertained. So what other aspects are important to you in the lecture format? I think, I think um, taking it seriously, um, not treating it as uh, just another opportunity for you to deliver some form of content to a group of students, you know, in an economical way, because let's face it, large lectures are economical, aren't they? you got a lot of people in front of you as a, a module leader. You can deliver a session to a very large group of people if you've got a room big enough and so on and so forth. A, a typical kind of Gary lecture, that, that sounds, yeah, I have to kind of compose myself for responding to, responding to that one, um, I guess because I don't, I don't know that there's necessarily such a thing as what would be kind of typical to me. I think what's typical generally that works I think well. important to you, I mean, sure. not necessarily. Yeah, no. understood, understood. I've just never had that question put to me, Tundas. So I've got to think about the response to it. Um, I, think, I, think, I think what would be typical would be actually not, not doing all of the preparation well in advance. So doing preparation, you know, having, um, typically I would have slides, although I've tried it without them. Students hated it and they told me they preferred the slides, by the way, just in case you're wondering why I persisted with those slides. But having slides, of course, you know, having a, having a plan in place, but actually changing, varying what you do from session to session. And then when you're in the midst of a lecture context, actually going back to what I said earlier, being responsive to the audience. So where it appears and, and having having something in place as a contingency and um, thinking on your feet, actually, what I, th I think is what that often means. Um, and being able to deal with those dynamics that arise. So if the students aren't getting it, they're not enjoying it, things aren't working quite so well, stopping and doing something different and actually being able and willing to stop and do something different. But it is, it is peculiar given where we've moved with, and given my current role, that actually when I think about where I 
really feel as though I've enjoyed the teaching and where I've got the best feedback. You know, and that's best feedback as measured by module evaluation scores of large groups of students. It's been there. Yeah, with the lecture. Um, so I think, yeah. I don't know if that's answered your question, but it's a, it's a, it's like that. that's about what I mean. I'm smiling here because I'm I'm thinking of of myself and um, more from um, participating in staff staff development. You know, when you attend a conference, and I actually like to listen people to you know for them mm -hmm. to tell me about their practice and the story and the research and whatever. And it's kind of a there's a bit of you that like your your heart kind of falls when you've got to do something. You know, you got to sort of then talk to people yeah. that you don't don't know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so, you know, I guess sometimes our students feel feel like that. You know, if, if it's an interesting yeah. topic, it is actually good just to listen to the expert tell you that yeah. in their own words and expand on it. Well, the, the, the Royal Institute lectures over Christmas, um, the Van Tam lectures on the coronavirus and all the science behind it and what steps have been taken, it's brilliant absolutely fantastic uh, vehicle for getting across really detailed, complex information in very, very engaging ways. I'm not saying that the kinds of things I have done have been anything like that. They certainly haven't. Um, but I think if you do it right and do it well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant form of pedagogy, really, really effective. You've only, you've only got to look at things like the TED Talks. and I, I, I think Absolutely. The, 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 the thing that makes it for those, I guess, is because they, they should be around 18 to 20, 20 minutes long. Whereas mm -hmm. I think there's there's something about the lecture. Sometimes an hour is is great, but sometimes it's too much time. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, you know, you're trying to fill space when actually you don't need all of that time yeah. for a particular topic, which makes mm -hmm. you know lectures a little bit arduous. I think for students sometimes. Yeah, it's forcing it, isn't it? Sorry. I think no. I was thinking that we also assume that students need to talk and to be active, engaging, doing something, and sometimes we forget that. You know, some students, they just want to be there and listen because it's the way that they they learn. So instead of, you know, almost demanding, you know, that they express their, their opinions, they express what they are learning or their questions or whatever it is, either by talking or using technologies, because sometimes technologies are used, you know, to, to tackle those shy students less confident. But we I think we also should think, should accept that um, some students, they don't want to, and it's not part of their personality, but it doesn't mean that they are not learning, you know? Mm. So instead of having one size fits all, but centered, you know, on students being always actively doing something, it could be just diversifying methods that those students that actually prefer just to listen, they can also learn that way. And those students that require and like to, to and learn by doing, they also have the opportunity. So instead of, it's, it's, and I'm not saying here that I have any problem with active learning because I'm not, I don't. Okay, and I'm from physics, so everything is hands-on. But I do, I do feel and I do see, you know, uh, students that they are paying attention and they don't want to say anything. Sometimes they, take time to process, to, to understand things. They have different rhythms and we also need to respect that. So they will come if they want eventually to, to do, you know, to bring something of their own if they want to. Um, but it's difficult sometimes to, you know, respond to all dif different needs that we have in the classroom. But it's just ensuring that we do diversify you know, the activities, the strategies, so different students can engage with the learning in different ways at different times. Because, you know, we all know that sometimes we are really in the mood as, a, as students, but other days we are not. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, life happens. So, so, Tanya, what would you add to our diversified? So we've got a whiteboard, a Lego lecture. What would be your pedagogy or teaching prop to bring? It would be pedagogy of kindness. So I thought, you know, Treasure Island, it would be like going to the university for the first time in your life. You know, that first week, that first two weeks, you've never been into the university. Some, some of our students, they don't have any reference of what is, what is expected because they might be first generation. They might come from different countries with different educational systems. Um, they might, you know, have a different their school, their neighborhood might 
not share the same culture, the same institutional culture as a university. So everything is new. So it's like daunting and they might feel overwhelming. This is what I was thinking going into a treasure island, how I would, you know, feel. So I thought that kindness could be a good thing because we we talk a lot in higher education about, you know, diversity, about inclusion uh, in terms of that we, we should be, you know, um, responding to uh, different uh, needs that our students bring, thinking that they might be commuters, they might be mature students, they might not uh, have the same um, cultural experience as we do. Uh, but sometimes we forget that uh, conviviality, right? This thing of learning how to be with others that are different from us, sometimes it might be tricky. Sometimes it might have mm -hmm. clashes. So I was thinking in an island, I don't know how many, you know, we would bring to the island, but if there's nothing else, we will need to learn how to deal with ourselves. We will need to, you know, to learn to, to deal with different personalities, with the things that each of us would bring to the island. And there's no escape. <laughs> so it was the island. This was in my head, like, no. And I was thinking it's a similar thing to the first weeks at university, you know, in a new context for students and even for lectures when they start in a new institution. There's a lot of things to learn and you need to be kind to you, first of all, and you need to be kind to others. So that's why that's what I was bringing to the island, the Gaudi of, of kindness. Okay. And there's, um, mm -hmm. let, let me just add this. There's um, a really interesting short um, not paper, so like a, a text on pedagogy of, of kindness uh, that came out in nine, 2019, Catherine Denial. I can send the link, which mm -hmm. I think it's worth reading. It's a, her reflection about why she's, she has this approach to kindness in higher education. I think it's worth no. Brilliant. We can look. We can put that on upon our blog as one of the resources. Thank you. So, in terms of putting all our uh, different islands together uh, into an archipelago of, of of our islands, so we've got, in a sense, you taught. I mean, the Lego and the whiteboard were all active learning, where it was can be individual, collaborative. Then Gary, in the lecture producing this energy and togetherness and excitement and absorbing knowledge with uh, kindness. I, ca I can imagine putting students in a fluffy jumper as, they, as we roll them over to the islands. Is there anything else that we could grab along the way that might make our joint islands complete? Anything that you think might be missing or might be interesting to add into the mixture? I don't necessarily have anything to add into the mixture, but I was just going to add a, a comment to what Tanya just said, and that is the yeah the importance of uh, being kind in respect of being kind to yourself. So acknowledging that there may be things that you encounter that may not necessarily go the way you'd like, and instead of beating yourself self up over it, actually thinking about giving yourself a break, but also again the the, the importance of being kind. Uh, to others, and I guess the, the reason that's really important and why the first year analogy in first week is significant as well is because, of course, you're learning things about yourself when you're in this situation, because you're in this in-between situation you've not necessarily been in before. Um, I used to read quite a bit about liminality, for example. I don't know if you're familiar familiar with that concept, but you have this kind of liminal space where you're you're losing something of your old self. You've left lots of stuff behind and you're moving into a new phase, a dramatic new phase. And so it's even more important, I think, that you're you're kind to yourself and to others. But because you're going through what you're going through, I guess it's probably harder than usual to be kind to yourself and others because of the stress of the situation. Completely. I was thinking about changes and in our roles, uh, especially if we work with, with colleagues across the university, that we want them to reflect upon their practices and then, you know, make... Uh, the changes that they feel they need to do and they want to do, it's quite important to understand that. Exactly what Gary was saying is that it's a new thing. It's changing from something that they learned. It's Sometimes it's how they learned. Sometimes it's the way that they have been doing it, even if, you know, questioning and changing. But sometimes we 
expect you know colleagues to change like rapidly and and from one day to the other and i feel that it's unfair yeah <laughs> you know yeah. so it's quite important to see that change needs to be managed and managed not only as a group but also you know to support each individual to make their change at their own pace because otherwise we they, they might feel overwhelmed and not doing anything so it's actually the opposite of what we want right so, and so do we need like a playground on the island then with scaffolds you know like a climbing frame to scaffold <laughs> learning and so everybody can yeah be i love the island the playground as well because it's usually what happens in school isn't it before you have that buffer zone of something more play-based before you do it for real I mean, the other metaphor that it came, because Tanya, you were talking about individuality and diversifying and everyone is a person. Uh, I mean, in my culture, in kindergarten, if this is age between three and four, six, um, preschool, it's um, everyone in the kindergarten gets like a sign. It's like not a letter or not your name, but um, it could be a ladybird or um, I don't know, whatever. And it could be based on your interests or things that might characterize you. And it just almost made me think, Tanya, as you were talking, if, if everyone in the island had their own like special individual space, reflecting that individuality, but also working with this notion of them recognizing what that may be, or maybe them choosing it. Anyway, it was just an idea. <laughs> I, th I thought you were going to say perhaps we can give thought to what our signs might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do you so want to, I'm glad yeah. you didn't you know. want to choose a sign or, or anything? I don't, think yeah. I, I don't know what I would think of. I'll let, let others step in to come <laughs> an indication of what their signs might be first. When you used to get them, didn't you, on your coat peg when you were Yeah, and that's where it had your bag. And mine was, uh, <laughs> and it's still my favourite colour now. Maybe it was my favourite colour before, but mine was a yellow sun. I can still remember my little image on my my coat peg, and yellow is my still my favourite colour, you know, and it's it's warm and it ties in with the, the Treasure Island as well. While we're talking about it, so that's yeah. way too sweet, yeah, way too nice. <laughs> so talking about you, you talked about change and look at kindness to yourself as well. So you've all been very busy and enthusiastic in terms of teaching, and there is need to be some you time or me time on the island where you can relax. So uh, my next question will come to the luxury items. So what would be your luxury item to take to the island that will help you relax off duty from teaching? Okay, so um, obviously I've already got some pens and pencils and glue and sticky crafty makey stuff there with the whiteboards and things. So um, just recently, and I've always wanted to do it anyway, but I've just started taking up some pottery and I found this great lady. Brilliant. Corner, not far away from where I live who has a potter's wheel and and I just go there for a couple of hours every month and I just sit and I make things you know just on this wheel so yeah a little potter's wheel and some clay and then obviously I could what was I'm not saying right now once I get a bit more skilled <laughs> I could obviously make some nice little dishes and things for people to to use on the island to as cookware and uh, to eat and drink out of but I'm not at that stage yet <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will be. That's lovely, Dawn. Well, I'd look forward to that because my my, my um, special thing that I'd want to bring my luxury item would be my gardening bag. I'm, I'm quite a passionate gardener and like to grow herbs and vegetables and, and fruits and as, as well as lots of um, many colourful flowers and things. So um, my gardening bag would have a trowel and secateurs, um, packs of seeds and string. Uh, and it'd be an opportunity to to grow things that could then go into the communal um, cooking area, uh, and we could use Dawn's pots to to um, eat together, which would be really nice. As well as picking things that were growing all, already on the island. Brilliant. Tanya, Should I go? For you to I kind of go. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> mine, uh, it was music, but I was then thinking, I don't know, I'm going to, you know, which energy source I will use to provide, but it would be like some speakers or at least you know my headphones or my mobile phone with Spotify <laughs> <laughs> probably it would be some 
<laughs> it would be it would use this the the sun as and as as a source of energy. I really love to have uh, the music and loud in order for me to, you know, switch off the work mode mind and just dance. And during the lockdowns, so our living room transformed into a small disco place where we would, you know, have some sound music and we would dance there because it it allows first to don't not to think about work but also to move the body you know so to relax and to i don't know to, to shake everything inside so music <laughs> and the source of energy is still a question mark <laughs> i'm sure we can engage some engineers to work out solar or wind power yes. <laughs> gary uh does it have to be one thing <laughs> I think Sue was allowed to sneak a few things in your gardening, Sasha, which and, and a number of others. So, yes, I'm sure we can be flexible. I've got the three possibles, but very quickly, one would be um, on the music theme, my guitar, because I like to, as one of the things I do with a bit of downtime is to have a practice a couple of times. It's only a couple of hours a week. So the, the, the problem with that might be that it actually drives the rest of you into the sea. So I would have to be very careful about uh, what I did with the guitar if I brought it. The other one, I like to cycle as uh, one of the things I do to, to keep active. But whether I could bring a bike to a, a treasure island if there's quite a bit of sand and whatever, I don't know. I'm not sure that would work. So the one the thing I settled on is um, baking, baking materials, bread baking materials, because this is one of the things I really enjoy doing as well. So this is my typical Saturday. It's guitar, some time on the bike and baking some bread. So if I have a day off, that's usually what it looks like. But I'd, bring, I'd go for baking material and bringing flour, um, some active yeast. I'm lacking the fresh um, bread. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I don't <laughs> eat a lot of bread, actually. It's a funny thing, but I really like <laughs> making my own and eating my own when I make it. It's so, quite therapeutic, so though, isn't it? The kneading yeah. process of it. I, I used to enjoy that. I've not done it for a while, actually, but uh, yeah. No, it's one of the things we, we, we do. Well, one of the things I do at home. And actually, if you've got um, some of the things from the garden, they can be brought into the uh, recipe. If we've got things uh, uh, made on the potter's wheel, obviously we can have we can include a nice bread bowl, for example, as well. So I think that that is a nice synergy there, isn't there, across the different things. Definitely, I think everything has come together beautifully. We've got um, the the wheat from Sue's garden, yeah. the pottery from Dawn, the baking, the Tanya eating, dancing, the and then the party. The now, then the part we have the dinner or the lunch, and then you know to celebrate celebrate life with the things that we do, and then we dance a little bit. That sounds good, doesn't it? Where are we moving? <laughs> I think, yeah, it's it's time for us to sail to our islands, I think, because I think we all want to get there now. Uh, it's all come together so beautifully. So this this will be the end of for this podcast. Thank you all for our listeners for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to our podcast. If you want to join as a guest, you can find our details on the website on how to do this. And you can also access the blog post of all of our episodes. So goodbye for now. And finally, a big thank you to our guest today. Thank you. Goodbye. Take thank care. You. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone.